0: Okay, so I figured it out this time. What we're going to do is we're going to... I'm going to say yes, you're going to say no. We're going to do this three or four times, backwards and forwards. And then I'm going to use those intervals to line up the audio. Ready? Yep, I'm ready. Okay. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes! No! You fucking naysaying nice dick. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Welcome to Weird Sequence, Season 1, Sequence 5. Zima Blue by Alistair Reynolds. Be aware of spoilers and trigger warnings for the following Discussions of suicide, existential horror loss of self and identity, and weird, weird tangents that don't really go anywhere. So, welcome to Weird Sequence. We're your hosts, Phil Alligheiri. And Damien Hester. And this week we are covering Zima Blue from the uh, short story collection Zima Blue and Other Stories uh, by Alistair Reynolds um what did you think of this
1: well this was the first time that i had read this story um and only my second alistair reynolds story um i had read revelation space at your oh, that's recommendation a, good a couple years ago and it blew my mind like it was it was kind of the first like hard-ish sci-fi that i'd ever read and it was really good
0: yeah um, so If you're not familiar with Alistair Reynolds, uh, he is a Welsh author, I believe. One of my favourites, who um, used to be an astronomer for the ESA. I believe he was involved in building some of their solar probes. Who became a full-time writer. and He writes typically fairly grandiose, somewhat realistic space operas. Yeah, um, it doesn't really, believe um, that faster than light travel is possible. So whenever you have FTL in these stories, it's very like, yeah, just turn on the thing, which is hilarious. But yeah. um Revelation Space a in of, particular has a dec- him. Oh yeah, he, well, uh, um Revelation Space in particular has that concept of light huggers, which yes. I love. These 5 kilometer long spaceships that um spend decades traveling between solar systems with hundreds of thousands of people in cryo suspension. Um mm-hmm. Anyway,
1: and dangerous weapons oh, God, that may yeah. or may not be sentient. Indeed, yeah. But um, Zima Blue. Um... Well,
0: so what what happened was, I believe it was the early thousands, uh, early two thousands. He released two short story collections, one in the UK, one in the US. So, one was Galactic North, which was a collection of his revelation space short fiction, and then he wrote, released Zima Blue and other stories, which was his non revelation space fiction. Zima Blue, I believe, was released in the States and Galactic North was released in the UK. And my copy of of Zima Blue, my my physical copy up on my shelf, I got on import from a forbidden planet in Birmingham. And uh, I brought that with me, so I imported a book into the UK and then brought it back to the US with me when I moved. Which amuses me if nothing else.
1: Who hasn't done that?
0: Well, I don't know. Have you, have you, uh, have you emigrated to the UK and back again?
1: No, but I kind of wish that I had.
0: <laughs> Would you like me to summarise this, or? Yes, you wanna... please. Okay, so Zima Blue is well. Zima is a galactic renowned painter in a post singularity society, galactic society, human society, who has announced his retirement from public life, and the story follows. A journalist by the name of Carrie Clay, who is going to the planet of Mergek, which is a backwater that nobody really knows of, to go to a fairly generic clone of um, Venice to see this grand final work that he does before he retires. She's been following his career for years, unexpectedly gets an invite to come and speak with him prior to the event. Of course, you know, story of the century absolutely goes along. And what she finds out is a couple of interesting things. One, Zima is fascinated with her because she relies on a basically like a floating device that looks like a hummingbird to keep her memories. She's centuries old, can't possibly store that in her head. And she uses this device to give a perfect recall of everything she encounters. And secondly and make her decisions. And secondly, Zima is not really human. And there's this interesting discussion about the nature of memory and persistence, because Zima has gone on this this quest sp- spanning from this arc of his, his kind of creative work, where he started to incorporate this very specific sort of azure blue into his paintings. And he was, he was renowned, like, he is a, he's an overbuilt cyborg, he can go and stand in the, the, the heat of stars, he can stand on asteroids, he's completely self-contained, nigh-on indestructible individual. And yet, he would paint these massive canvases, he started to become obsessed with these little specks of blue he would unconsciously paint into his pictures. Which then became bigger and bigger and bigger, until he was wrapping moons, sometimes even whole worlds, in these huge blue canvases but he doesn't remember and where it, he comes and was, from.
1: And it was such a specific shade of blue that it, it became known as Zima Blue.
0: A very specific shade of blue known as Zima Blue. And he has no recollection of where he comes from. While he's doing this work, he's becoming increasingly obsessed with this color. He starts to expend these massive resources from being this, this huge artist to try and figure out where he came from. Because he has the exact opposite problem to carry. He, he has no recall of where he came from. He, he understands the impermanence of memory. Whereas she has come to rely on absolute rigid uh, recall of everything, and what he finds is he goes, you know, basically through fairly shady region of space. And he realizes that he's not human. He was an AI, ascension to AI, recognized ascension AI construct that was implanted into a semi-organic body. He keeps following himself further and further back, and what he realizes is he was a essentially a hobby project. Um, some inventor back on old Earth liked to build intelligent devices, and one of his test beds was a little pool-cleaning robot, which became a family heirloom and constantly got tweaked and modified and eventually became sentient and became Zima. The blue that he obsesses with is the colour of the pool that he was he was forced to clean back when he was barely conscious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And What he has done is on this planet, impossibly far from Earth, he has reconstructed, literally as an archaeological dig, gone to Earth, dug this thing up, and brought that pool back to this planet. And his final work is to jump into this pool. And as he jumps, it will trigger a series of neurological triggers that will essentially destroy his higher brain functions, thus returning him back to this, you know... Perfectly content little pool cleaning robot. Even though he's a what, seven foot tall, muscular um, closed loop muscular yeah. robot. <laughs> um, before he does this, he wants to relay to this this um, writer, this journalist, that she has to stop living with this permanence of memory because a key important part of the human experience is to be able to forget. And this is this is really the, the point of his work, you know, this idea that you have to forget and rediscover things, that things change, that the real memory can be different to the real situation of what happened. He kind of parts ways, and sure enough, a couple of days later, he completes this act, um, this, this sort of grandiose piece, and lands in the pool and starts swimming around contently, underwhelming everybody who went to see it. The story finishes with um, Carrie Clay terminating her little memory assistant to go and get basically the the way that most people do it is they have expanded memory inside of their head that follows normal biological things and will degrade over time. And she sort of gets rid of this, this little assistant that keeps this perfect memory for her. um, So she can live a more natural life, sort of living with this, this concept of impermanence. You know, coming back every so many years to visit Zima on the anniversary of this, this, this great retirement and I, I think that's roughly it i don't think i left anything out there
1: no that's that was the that was definitely the gist of it and i yeah. think you know this story if i if i were to describe this story in one word it would be beautiful but if i were to describe it in two words it would be beautiful and haunting because there are so many implications of what both Zima and the journalist are, are telling us through the story. And not only with, like, the impermanence of memory and, and the importance of, of, you know, our normal biological functions, but, but also in, like, you know, what does it... Why do you choose the cho- Why do you make the choices that you choose? And, you know, there was, uh, there was a really interesting interchange in the story about choosing what, what kind of wine to have.
0: Oh, sure. And, and then the whole discussion about, you know, you can change on a single event. A single thing can happen and and completely change your outlook, complete, completely change the way you conduct yourself, your life. But you can't do that if you keep slavishly relying on those same memories. Right.
1: I mean, her, her little hummingbird had a record of every single time that she had ever picked wine and had like the statistical information about you know, her enjoyment of those wines. But, but the point that Zima brought up was, well, you know, is it you choosing the wine or is it the hummingbird? And, and,
0: and and to clarify quite literally, she has a, uh, I think it's, it's sort of implied. It's sort of like a a subconscious connection to this, this um, robotic AI Mm -hmm. that will literally go, no, you always order the white. Mm
1: -hmm. Under these specific conditions, you've picked white this many times out of this many times. And...
0: Yeah, and it's it's implied to be quite rigid, sort of, you know, well, three years ago, last time you ate this, you did this thing. Mm-hmm. It forms an interesting um, theme to this story because I think really when you, you kind of get down into it, uh, Zima and Carrie are two opposed sort of um, points on the same kind of idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Zima is consciously, he's come from a point of, you know, not recalling to to knowing this 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 huge career being this big great guy and he's consciously destroying his memory his mind his entire being whereas Kerry is sort of slavishly tied to 100% exact recall of everything that she does
1: yeah
0: so it, it's an and... interesting it, it it is a genuinely interesting discussion and the, and um you know for describing the story as haunting um I don't remember that so much from the first time I read this. Rereading this for this podcast, um, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. This this will stay with me. The haunting bit is the
1: is the implication of like the thought of of um, you know, Zima is is probing back to his most basic incarnation, and if you use Zima as as a metaphor for humanity, and you think about. What were the first, you know, what is your most basic self? And if you, could, if you could go back to that point where you are your most basic self without any sense of, of responsibility or disappointment or anything, like, would you, would you take that? Would you erase your, your higher functions? And just the, the implications of, of that journey well, to find out what his most basic self was is, is haunting to me.
0: Well, so I, I, I don't know about you, and I I know the book notes to this story have some, it, it, it's based on actual, it's based on an actual story by, I think it's, um, well, not an actual story, obviously, because it's a sci-fi story, but it's based on a thing that happened to a anthropologist, I believe, quite a famous one, whose name is Escaping Me. But basically, he was obsessed with A Shade of Blue. He'd seen it as a kid, and he never quite found the same shade again his entire life, until he was... Well into his 60s, coming up on retirement, he walked into a museum and he saw a collection of bugs and there was a scarab. And it was a very, very distinct shade of iridescent blue. And he's like, that's it. That's right. When I was like five years old, I went to some bug collection and I saw this scarab and burst out crying in the middle of this museum. Yeah, And that's what this is based on.
1: Right. Um, And the, you know, once... Once Zima found out the answer to his question like what what was I what you know how did I start the answer to that question it's it's kind of ambiguous as to whether that was a good thing for him to find out or not you know it's a kind of up to the reader
0: there's no implication of of coercion in this story it's an entirely a free will decision on the part of mm-hmm. Zima to do this, but I was wondering. Is this almost a suicide?
1: Yes, yeah. And... There's definitely that feel to it, and and you know, it actually it reminded me. So, okay, so so first, um, when I'm thinking about art, I think that there are a couple different kinds of art, but you can break it down. I mean, there's lots of different kinds of art, but you can break art down into two very general categories. There's art, and there's art. Damn it, and art is like. You know, it's Michelangelo, it's, you know, the it's David, it's the Venus de Milo. It's stuff where you look at it and you're like, that's art. I understand the purpose of this. You know, the purpose is to explore beauty or to explore the human form. There's some clear purpose with the art. And then you have stuff like Jackson Pollock or Andy Warhol, some of the more modern, you know, surrealist artists and and, and impressionism that's art damn it because you don't just look at a jackson pollock and be like oh yeah i see i see the point of this you know it's kind of the, the thing where like you either get it or you don't and if you don't then you just have to say well it's art damn it and um <laughs> and and so so that's that's my first thought about this my well, second thought go ahead
0: i was going to say it's definitely a, a, a art damn it because um for me at least as an artistic piece. So the, the the way it's described in the story is he basically sets up a, um, a swimming pool, like a, a standard size garden swim pool on like an island in the middle of the ocean on this planet. Builds stadium around uh, a stadium around it, and literally dives off the diving board into the water and starts swimming and will never stop because he's had solar cells basically implanted in his back. So he just mindlessly swimming around and there pools. was a
1: series of kill switches that like destroyed his higher functioning yeah. neurology and so um, on one hand definitely, if you're, definitely performance if you're in the,
0: art. i was gonna say on one hand if you're in in the audience watching this you know and there there are ships overhead there are the stadium is packed the the, the sky is dark with so many ships trying to watch what this this new installation from this great artist what you saw was this impressive you know seven foot cyborg dive into a pool and start swimming and that was and that. just keep
1: swimming yep keep swimming
0: if you really think about the piece that he did what you're watching is a very deliberate very calculated suicide mm-hmm. where the body doesn't stop moving
1: <laughs> right and and, it's like, and but but the whole story didn't come out until until the the reporter wrote her article and then that's when people started visiting like the people who got it
0: Oh and that and that's an interesting point to mention about the article. Um she gets picked up by a uh, a robot servant of Zima's uh in like a, a hover vehicle. She's expressly forbidden from bringing this little um uh, memory aid. Actually I think yes. it's called like an aid memoir. It's an AM. Mm. Yeah, the AM. Um she's explicitly forbidden from from bringing this so even her article is based on her Somewhat faulty recollection of the incident. Yes. By Zima's design.
1: Hmm. And you know, on on the subject of, of the the art and the statement and 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 a, a choreographed suicide. Um, it it reminded me there was this artist, and and I should have researched this beforehand, but there I watched a documentary about this guy some years ago, and he he was a performance artist in. Seattle I think um and he he suffered from bipolar disorder and manic depression and, and all mm-hmm. kinds of mental illnesses and um and he he one at one point he uh, actually I think he was in San Francisco cuz he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, oh gosh. So so he jumped off the bridge to commit suicide but when when the police went to his apartment to, to investigate, you know, causes and things, what they found was, was haunting in the same way that, this, this, that Zima's artistic piece was haunting. When they went into his house, what they found was all of his artwork that he had ever done, that he hadn't sold. There were hundreds of paintings along all the walls of the house, but they were all facing toward the walls so that you couldn't see what the work was. Okay, there are these paintings just lining the hallways, the stairs, all the rooms are are lined in these paintings that are facing outward. And so as they walk through the house, they go upstairs to his bedroom. And again, there are paintings lining the walls facing outward, except at the at the foot, like at the end of the room, there's a self-portrait of him facing out so they could see. And like, it gives me shivers just thinking about it because like, that is, that is an artistic statement that is horribly sad and, and ethereal and haunting. And you just like, I don't understand what the, I know that it has a statement, but I don't understand what it is.
0: Well, and, and, and this is sort of the, the, the other part with this story. This isn't a sad story. No. I mean, if anything, it is it is
1: it is melancholy,
0: somewhat. But I mean, for, for the most part, Zima is almost apologetic. If anything, yeah. it, it's you know I have to do this. I'm going to do this. You know, it's it's this weird mix of complete indulgence in an action, and this finality of the whole thing, mm. and there's no there's no failure in Zima's life. No, he's uh, he, wildly he's come successful. From literally the most basic thing you can think of to uh, uh, the, the absolute adoration of billions of people, if not trillions. Uh-huh. And then it's just gone, no, screw it. Yeah, <laughs> I want to go back, back to, to, to where, the, where I was happy, the most basic vacuum. thing I remember, <laughs> which is just staring at this shade of blue, which is the, the, the pool blue. Uh-huh. And it's um, it's a very odd feel. You know, a little bit melancholy, but but not really. It's a little bit, um, you know, you, you could say it's, oh, it's a, a very destructive thing, but it's, it's not really seen as destructive. No. Uh, it's almost welcomed and comforting. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. And that, and the uh, the
1: comfort that, that Zimuth, um gets from this realization that he's had and the, and the action that he's going to take is kind of as a reader for me, anyway, it was a little bit uncomfortable. But but it's it was uncomfortable in a way that that made me thoughtful, and well, so uh,
0: t- take a somewhat strange, um, strange comparison. So when I was when I was in college, I, I kind of got access to my own internet for the first time. There was this tune that kept bugging me. It was a song about a lorry driver that was driving long distance, mm-hmm. and I couldn't. F- for the life of me, figure out where this came from. So, you know, early internet, I'm sitting down, I have literally dial-up internet, I'm searching, 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 trying to find this stupid song, and I finally find it. And it was, it's a, it was a kid's show. Um, it was made about the time I was born, I was a little child. It was a BBC mm. show, it was called Pigeon Street. And it, it was just a short show about all the people that lived on a very typical street... On uh, any town in the UK,
1: oh.
0: it's a little stop-motion animation thing, cardboard cutout type thing. That that very kind of late 70s, early 80s kind of art style. And this this is direct Powell, something that's just there in your mind, you can't quite pin down. That's just imprinted, but you your memory's fallible. You can't really recall the exact, the cl- with any clarity, what this thing is. Uh-huh. I was 20 something at this point. This idea is still floating around in my head. the The trick here is, I went, oh, that's what that song is. Cool. I didn't lobotomize myself to go and stare at a TV for the rest of my life watching this show. Right. But that's kind of what Zima did. Just this this willing kind of, I don't want to deal with everything anymore. I just want to go back to this basic point that is clearly still here that I'm still obsessed with and just indulge that. Just just live in this, this comfortable, entirely fulfilled life.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, um, there's actually a show like that for me, and I don't, I don't, I I used to know the name of it, I could look it up, but when I was a kid, there was a show, um, uh, about these kids who had, uh, uh, magical koalas living outside their windows, and, um, that's about all I remembered about it, except that also the, the, the main character of the story, her father was missing and he was an adventurer and I remember he, they eventually found him and he was in this weird, like, um, bubble universe and, and he himself was inside of an opaque bubble. And so you could only ever see his silhouette and like those three TV things, it was weird, <laughs> right? Those <laughs> three things were the only things that I could remember about the show, magical koalas, missing father, opaque silhouette and a bubble. And, um, at some point, I was thinking about that show, and and so I went and, and Googled it, and I found it, and I watched some episodes, and it was just a really like surreal feeling to be watching this thing that I hadn't watched since I was probably you know six or seven years old, and and I don't you know I hadn't thought about mm-hmm. it in years and years and years, and um, but you yeah. know again I didn't I didn't go and you know put myself in a group home so I could watch this all the time. <laughs>
0: But it, but it it is an interesting idea, you know, that you can have this idea, this thought that's that's in your head, that like the stones of an old castle, you still have the general shape, but it's so far degraded from what it was that you can't always necessarily tell what it what it was doing, why it was there. Uh-huh. And and I'm not joking. I I probably spent... oh gosh. A couple of months trying to track down what that stupid song was. So uh-huh. you know, in in this story, you have somebody who has spent incalculable amounts of money, absurd amounts of time to track a story that has faded out, literally their childhood. If you really think about it, uh-huh. hundreds of years earlier. Yeah. Um. And that's. <laughs> Is it obsession? I I, I, I wanna say it's like a very obsessive thing, but I never get the feeling that there was a really strong like, obsession. Yeah, it was just sort no, of not, like not a, like a
1: not an unhealthy obsession. It was just like, you know, this is something I need to know the answer for and I have
0: I, I need to know this because you know, I, this I, is I have, this I have big the funds and I'm, to throw I'm not at sure. it, so Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. I was also thinking it there there are some interesting implications about the nature of um, of evolution and and of um like personal growth and and this is something that that is kind of a through line in alistair reynolds work that i've read anyway you know in in revelation space the the people who crew the light huggers are are usually very heavily modified humans that um
0: and so the, um in 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 revelation space the, the, these light huggers are these near light speed ships that bounce between um, um, solar systems, and they they have a couple of interesting things. A, they they pass through periods of tremendous sort of uh, exposed vulnerability because they are in interstellar space. So a lot of the crew get modified because they take radiation damage. They take atomic nuclei hits. Their their whole mm-hmm. ships are full of nanobots that so just find tiny little holes and fix them. And the um, rats.
1: Oh, the, and rats. the rats.
0: And and the other thing that's that's interesting is that they because they are traveling. 60 70 years at a time they don't really bind to any civilization but at the time they've completed their first voyage everybody they knew is statistically likely to be dead
1: mm-hmm. because of the relativistic just to... speeds the time compression would make it so that you know right. where they're the i think i remember the the crew had experienced like 10 or 12 years of travel but it had been a lot 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 longer for the for the for like, uh, uh, yeah, the the, the first trip, to the nostalgia, and, and stuff.
0: Yeah. Oh no, no, no. Uh, Silvestra was the. No, yeah, that was a nostalgia for infinity. That there is a jump they make where it's on board. It's seven years, and actually the trip they're making is something closer to eighty three. Right. But but uh... but,
1: but in, in terms of Zemo Blue, like, think about the the evolution to go from a pool cleaning vacuum robot to a seven foot tall performance artist who is wrapping planets in blue canvas and creating, I think one, one thing that he made was like a, a 10 light year long canvas that was entirely Zima blue. Mm -hmm. What kind of evolution goes into going from a pool vacuum to, you know, Zima? It's just like,
0: Well, yeah, and I I think in the story, he he does attribute some of the memory loss, if not the majority of the memory loss, to having his sort of core, his core sort of of neural functions basically copy-pasted into a, um, like a grown biological body. Right. So it's not, he's gone from the point where he's been a pool robot that's turned into, you know, um, a designated conscious AI to... Being built into something that it's quite impossible to tell anything other than it's a, um, a very intensive fusion of um, cybernetic and organic parts,
1: mm-hmm.
0: quite by design. There, there was no everything in in Zima's life is very deliberate, every specifically done. But this is, I think, that's the point when he loses a lot of the, a lot of his memory of his own origins.
1: Yes, because he had to do it in kind of a a uh, a less than legal way
0: <laughs> uh, was it less than legal I, I know he well
1: well he he kind of went to that planet like you know in in, in yeah big he, and he, sci-fi went into, stories, he went fi stories there's always that one two, planet that where there's yeah. like no scientific ethics or anything
0: you are correct he, he kind of went to um space vegas <laughs> yes <laughs> that's the impression i got was space vegas so yeah um
1: So I, I really like this story. And I think, you know.
0: I, I love this story. Um, it, this is one of the two stories from this same short story collection that was turned into shorts for um, uh, Love, Death and Robots. I,
1: know, I didn't get a chance to watch that. Mm-hmm.
0: oh it, 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 uh, For my money, the, the book is significantly better than the, yeah, the animation. Not is. the animation is bad. I just don't think it's, for me personally, true enough to the source material. My absolute favorite from this story collection is Beyond the Aquila Rift. I was actually had the exact opposite experience with that because I'm watching this story and I didn't realize when I first watched it they were short stories that had been turned into animation pieces. Uh-huh. And I'm watching the story, I'm like, this looks very familiar. This looks really familiar. Is this Beyond the Aquila Rift? And the end of that story um, actually... I'm not going to tell you what it is because we're only issuing spoilers for Zima blue. Mm. Um, The end of that story in that episode is exactly how I pictured it in my head. And it actually gave me goosebumps.
1: Oh man. That's, that's, that's the best man.
0: Oh yeah. So,
1: Um, so you're reminding me of an experience and this isn't Zima blue related, but I have to talk about it because every time something like this comes up, it's just the most surreal feeling. So, um, (laughs) okay. The, the uh, the book The Last Kingdom by Bernard Cornwall. Um, I, I had been reading that book, but then something happened and I quit reading it. Um, and then like a year later, a year after that, I happened to be watching this show on Netflix, The Last Kingdom. And I didn't make the connection that they were the same story. So I'm watching the first episode and like and like every time a plot point happens, I'm like man, this is like so familiar. I feel like I've seen this before, but I'm 100% sure that I've never seen this show. Uh, and, and, uh, and it was really surreal. It was like cognitive dissonance. You're like, man, I know this, but where from, you know? And, and then finally I made the connection and it all came together. But...
0: One other point I want to talk about, because um, we talked a lot about Zima, because, you mm. know, it's, this story isn't really about Zima. It, it's no. really about Carrie. Um, right. It's it's actually um, almost sort of like... Um, the feel I get for this is it's almost like a sort of a final act of mercy by Zima. So, some, some last attempt to reach out and help somebody before he can no longer do this. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to Carrie about, you know, she has this aid memoir, this A.M. And he's like, well, you know, there's only... Some tiny percentage of the galactic population rely on these, and it's like well, everybody else does fine and he's he's talking about the necessity of failure of memory.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's actually interesting because and i I kind of I can kind of identify with Kerry a little bit on this one because um you know my, my day job is computer stuff. Everything's about make sure it's backed up, make sure there's five copies of it. Are you h a are you are you capable of sustaining you know massive system damage? What's your recovery plan? What's your site reliability plan? This is my life. Um, and she, she is dutifully doing this. She has a thing that she backs up, it keeps all of her memories for her. You know, she never forgets anything. And then he's making this argument to her that, yes, you have perfect recall of everything you've done, and it's killing you. And the problem is, he's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> For 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 as you know, terrifying as what Zima does in the story. You know, when he's talking to Carrie, he's one hundred percent correct. You need to be able to forget certain things. You need to be able to move for certain, beyond certain things. You need to be able to just spontaneously change your mind. Else, you're not really getting the living experience. Right. And the the point with this is, and she does take this on board. What what she. What she does in the end is, you know, downloads all the information from the AM, dismisses the robot, and then gets her memory basically enlarged to install these memories so that they can degrade normally over time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he's right. People change. You are not a static creation. Right. You have to morph and deform with the world around you. And your memory... Actually, there's a great piece in here. Your memory of a situation which is real to you, that is integral to who you are, what you do, how you do it, is not necessarily the correct memory of what happened. In fact, Zima goes as far as to say in this, you know, it could be completely different to what actually happened. But for you, it is real. And for you, it's, it's a key trigger thing that does these certain things. And it's probably going to change every time you retell it, every time you think about it but that's necessary because that defamation of that memory is what keeps you sort of alive basically it keeps you functional within society it allows you to continue to adapt and move forward um which again is an interesting contrast because this is coming from a man who is effectively electing to not to do that anymore right if you
1: if you had access to something like an am that would that would record everything all of your memories would you use it or would you try and get something that was more mimicked the natural process of the brain
0: if i had a choice if i had a choice i'd go for something that would mimic the the more natural process of my brain if i had if there was just a a sort of an am available Mm
1: -hmm.
0: an am sorry available um Yes, I would take it. So yes, if if the only option I had was to use an AM, then yes, I would absolutely take that option, because at least career-wise, for most of my adult life, I have to save and store the data. I have to save and protect the data. That's basically my job. So yeah, absolutely I would do that. I, 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 I could pretend that I wouldn't, that I would indulge... Yeah, selectively editing things that I wouldn't want, or maybe I just purge the bad things. But I wouldn't. I know me. I would keep all of that diligently indexed and saved for perpetuity. How about you? Would you?
1: I think I would, but well, I don't know how I would actually feel because I probably I would just take it and just use it. But if I could, if I could take it and use it and then resume a blue, I think I would. I think I would try and go for, like, not always being connected to it. Like, being able to turn it on and off for things that I felt I wanted to have recorded exactly as they were. Okay. Well, you know, I guess we kind of have an analog for that. Like, how often do you turn the camera, your phone on, and record what's going on in your house, you know?
0: That's true. That's true.
1: Probably not as often as I should, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: I don't know I have gigs of pictures of kids you know what I mean Yeah
1: but they you know that the the nature of memory is is uh, really interesting and mysterious I mean the human mind can just uh, you know forget things and 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 make up memories from whole cloth sometimes
0: Well the, the uh, thing I find fascinating and you are right you 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 can um my my favorite one is paradolia where mm. you, your brain sees a pattern in, in just random data yeah jesus in the toast jesus in the toast is the classic example hearing voices in white noise is another good oh. one i i think it's i think it's one of the things i find more interesting about this is not oh you know your your memory can fail ha 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 cuz most of the time when we portray memory as a failure we don't really portray it as a positive thing you know, in this discussion between Carrie and Zima, Zima he's not even describing it as a, 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 a thing that happens, like it's a thing that's going to happen, you need. It's, it's, it's a critical thing. It has to happen for you to function correctly. Mm-hmm. And I think we tend to forget that sometimes, you know, failure, reappropriation, uh, reuse are things that you need to have in a, a perfectly functional cyclic society.
1: Right. Well, especially in in this story, you know the the implication is that these people who are using these are have an a, a, you know an, an augmented lifespan, or they're they're living for you know hundreds and hundreds of years beyond their their the well. I, I don't norm. think
0: the um the universe that the sort of Carrie and Zima live in is very well fleshed out. Honestly, I think no. I think it's only like two or three short stories.
1: I, I was just thinking, like if you. If you were to, if you were to be able to live for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, you know, the brain is amazing, and 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 its capacity is huge, but it's finite. Like there are calculations of what the the capacity in in like in bytes of the human brain is and and it's it's a it's a known number so oh it's like you were it's to... like
0: pay to uh, pay petabytes of storage right it's huge even... but it's
1: still you know
0: it's enormous whatever it is yeah I mean...
1: but if you were to live for hundreds and hundreds of years you know that all that that data would would go in there and at some point you'd have to start forgetting things just to make well, I, room for other things
0: i think the uh the implication with this story is that you know they are post-singularity so right. they don't they don't deal with death as a necessary thing.
1: No, they do. They just do it for tax purposes.
0: Right. I mean, there's there's a great thing here where Carrie is is kind of summing up the, the the whole incident, and she's talking about Zima swimming in this pool, maybe for even millions of years.
1: Right. His body. His body is uh, yeah. could be there in perpetuity.
0: Actually, there's a great quote here. I'm, I'm just going to throw in here. Beyond that, it was anyone's guess. But the one thing I knew that was Zima would never tire of his task. There was no capacity left in his mind for boredom. He'd become pure experience. If he experienced any kind of joy in the swimming of the pool, it was the near-mindless euphoria of a pollinating insect. (laughs) Which really just sums up how how much of himself he jettisoned to go back to this sort of uh, desired primal memory. So, uh, any other thoughts you had on this, or...
1: No, I think we've summed it up. I, so, I mean, I think I think if I sat down and thought about it for a little while longer, like this story has so many deep implications about the nature of human of human experience, the nature of memory, the nature of you know, if evolution and and you know, there you could it's a story that you could talk about for forever and just, you know, go as far down the rabbit hole as you could possibly go.
0: Mhm. I I love this. I'm going to put this on my rotation of books I have to read periodically. Yeah. No, this is is an amazing story. This is probably one of Alistair Reynolds' best pieces, in my mind, even though it's so short. Mm. Um, Because, I mean, the Revelation space books are space operas of hundreds and hundreds of pages. Mm -hmm. This thing is maybe 20, and it's... It's just beautifully done. it's, it's just, got some it's, it's got a punch too. It's a too. simple like... idea. It's just it's very stripped down, it doesn't need anything added, it doesn't need anything taken away, it is absolutely the best story it will ever be. And I love it.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a great story. Two thumbs yeah. up.
0: <laughs> um three thumbs up because I'm a post singularity augmented human with an extra arm.
1: Yes. Oh, is this? <laughs> Is this the story, or am I thinking of Old Man's War? Are there, um, is, is Revelation Space the one where there are humans that have specifically adapted to work in asteroid fields?
0: Um,
1: no, that that's Old Man's War.
0: That's Old Man's War. There, there There is a concept that is touched on in Revelation Space, at least the Revelation Space stuff that I've read. I think there's one I haven't read where they have a concept of a skyjack which are people that live just in Oh yes. just in asteroid mm. belts and like far Kuiper objects that have you know very limited energy but they are they are described as strange even by ultra standards which ultras are the people that live on the light huggers, so god only mm-hmm. knows what they look like Yeah. So. Um cool. So next show I believe this was your choice what uh, what were we covering next time?
1: Right. So next time we're going to talk about um, another Lovecraft story and I'm not going to be taking questions or excuses about why we're doing this because this story is amazing. Um, Which you,
0: you're not going to justify why I went, really? We're going to do another uh, Lovecraft story? And you just went, yes. Yes, we are. Go and read yes, it. So you're so not going to justify yep, go that? <laughs> no,
1: no, because you go read the story and then, then come back to me. Uh, The story is The Statement of Randolph Carter by H.P. Lovecraft and um, it's it's a great story. I'm excited
0: to talk about it. Um, And I look forward to reading it because I don't think I've read that one. Mm. Um, So, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. God, I hope that recorded. If you enjoyed our podcast, consider liking, subscribing, and maybe even recommending to a friend. We'll see you soon.